Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuke, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome back, Wheatland Church. Um, we are now at the beginning of Pastor Luke's next series, the, the, the one you've all been waiting for, which is, I think, how <laughs> we, we at Wheatland now think of the uh, post-Easter Sunday sermon series. That's right. Obadiah. to the minor prophets. But actually, it's a little bit of a bragging rights, it seems to me. I can say to my friends, oh, what's your pastor preaching yeah. on? Oh, my pastor's preaching on Obadiah. Yes, I, <laughs> as I looked at the cover of the order of worship, I realized there is a die in Obadiah, the way it was laid out, Obadiah. Uh, it was oh, a little no. too on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, what I like to do then is I can say to my compatriots and friends, could you find Obadiah for me in a sort right. of, not on your phone, it's, but in the Bible? That's right. We're preaching out of it. That's right. Um, that's right. But I, and I, I think we may have mentioned this last time, but I think it takes some courage, Pastor Luke, to do this, but I think it's also informative. The, the, the pulpit is also education for the body. Mm, and so I don't mm -hmm. know how many of us actually spend time in the minor prophets. Yeah. It's forcing us to do that. I don't know exactly. if that's your goal in this. But. No, that is. And that, that was initially the thrust behind uh, committing myself in a public way. Uh, to doing a minor prophet. Every new pastor should try this. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's like uh, promising somebody that you'll meet them for a run at 6.30 a.m. or 6 a.m. You know, you're, you kind of bind yourself by your word right. and you don't leave it up to your best judgment at 6 a.m. Right. Um, so, no, yeah, I think uh, we, we've talked about this, Dan. Biblical literacy is yeah. um, something that's incredibly important to people who uh, commit themselves to being uh, Christians who are people of God's revelation, mm -hmm. which uh, of course is in Jesus, but we only know about this through his word, that the scriptures are God's special revelation to us. In fact, that's interesting because that's something we were teaching our communicants. Um, mm -hmm. in, Keith and I are teaching this communicants class, and one of the things that we get to spend time with is the idea of general revelation versus which, you know, you can look around and draw general mm -hmm. conclusions about God from the world around you and from nature, which is all very, very important. And then there's special revelation, which there are things that we can only know about God mm -hmm. through his word. And I think uh, there are extending that a little bit further into what we're talking about today. There are only things about God that you can know from the minor prophets. So that's that's you know that's important stuff. Well, I think there, and I I don't know in my mind I would thought there was maybe a connection to Easter, almost like a walking backwards. Yeah, we've seen the redemption of the Lord now in the resurrection. 
we get to walk back and see what it's like to look forward to that. Because mm. I think if mm-hmm. like it's easy, it's difficult for Israel to see the judgment that comes with so many of these books without knowing that there's a resurrection on the other side. Mm-hmm. The sense we're yeah. we're launching from the resurrection back into it. I I, I don't know if that yeah. was thought in it, but well, I, felt- I wish I had been that brilliant, but that wasn't my <laughs> thought. But I see what you're saying because now it's like you uh, okay you've been given this glorious picture of mm. renewal and recre- recreation and god's redemption and now you're able to go back and read this heavy stuff with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more um hope and to where the story was going all along yeah be- best not do this in august right right the do- <laughs> dog days, the dog of, summer days are of summer not well suited to the minor prophets right. a lot of hell going on right Temperature-wise, exactly. yeah, let's or look. or early January after Christmas, <laughs> Just, and yeah. your money's gone, and your <laughs> dark your heating days. isn't working, and COVID yeah, is exactly. spiking. Yeah, we don't need that, right? So, so this this week, you're um, and I, I know you always have to do double duty when you bring us into a book because you want to get to the message of the book and you're doing the background yeah. to the book. But the but the moment that this happens, um, Obadiah is prophesying against Edom, right? This is the statement that yeah. Edom is. Edom has, you know, related to Israel, Hebrews, they've been out there, there haven't been good relationships over time, but they've done something here that's particularly nefarious, mm-hmm. particularly awful. And I think you talked about it a little bit, but can you unpack a little, what, what's, what's Edom done so, so badly here? Yeah, and I, so the context of Obadiah, at least according to the scholars that I read this week, and I think there's general consensus from mm-hmm. evangelical scholars that this is probably written by Obadiah. I didn't get into this. I I had so much back stuff that you just kind of had to choose, but Obadiah literally means worshiper or servant of Yahweh, Hmm. um, which of course you remember that that's what all the prophets were called. uh, My Hmm. servant, the prophets is over and over in the old Testament they're referred to. So, so that's who this is. Um, we, we have nothing about Obadiah at all. There's no okay. parentage given. There's no, right. he was a goat herder or anything like that, that we get about some of the other prophets. Um, so from, from that perspective, we just know nothing about him, but because he does describe this uh, event that we think calls down God's response to Edom uh, in the form of this vision or this message, um, we're pretty sure, uh, at least, you know, evangelical scholars are sure that this is given as someone who was an eyewitness to the Babylonian captivity of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, the capital city of Israel in Jerusalem in 587 86 BC. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of the context that I'm working from anyway, and that I think best explains what we're looking at. And this is and we've got now we've got the northern kingdom, right, has fallen 722, 180 years ago, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 So this is the the last remnant. Yeah. And and in a sense, you know, you could think of it as a systematic dismantling of of Mm. or a systematic judgment of God's people for all the ways in which they've abandoned God's law. And there's, you know, after David and Solomon, um, which are sort of the high points of, of the, the kingdom of Israel, after Solomon is king, then um, 
His sons wind up fighting amongst themselves and splitting the kingdom. And you get two kingdoms, the northern kingdom right. and the southern kingdom. Yeah. So and yeah, that's all is, around 900, 800, 850. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, David is about 1000 BC. Solomon is 900 B. Well, somewhere after David. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Solomon is a very successful but, but yeah, anyway, so 900 BC, things start tearing apart in the fabric of, of things as uh, we've seen over and over in history in kingdoms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And divided kingdom, southern kingdom lasts a little bit longer. There's some more yep. faithful kings. Yep, yep. And then, and then this is them collapsing. And then interestingly, Obadiah is not about Israel's sin. Yeah. Oh, judgment's handled elsewhere. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, I had some stuff written about this. This was one of those cut material okay. document things. <laughs> Um, because I think it's fascinating. I'm not exactly sure what to do with it, but okay. it's fascinating to me at least that in the corpus of the minor prophets, and maybe you can make some sense of it for me, in the corpus of all the prophets, major or minor, um, there's only one other time that God directly addresses another nation other than Israel. So like in, in all of the prophets, you hear lots of stuff about other nations, like the Paravite, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all of that. There, there's all these pronouncements mm. about other nations, but there are only two prophets who actually prophesy from God directly to another nation. And it's Jonah mm. and Obadiah. And so I find that interesting. I want to make something of it, but I haven't figured exactly <laughs> <laughs> what to make of it. Really yet. great ingredients. We yeah. just don't know what the stew is. Yeah, like. yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Jonah goes to the Ninevites and God sends Jonah there with some very dire warnings for right. them to repent. And they do. And then, of course, the story of Jonah is so fascinating because he's very you know, upset. Yeah. Uh, it, anyway, it's this, I, I think there's still... Uh, something there about uh, the justice and mercy of God in mm -hmm. Jonah. Jonah's wrestling with the fact, not he's happy that God's bringing judgment on the Ninevites, but very upset that they might have an opportunity to repent and escape right. the judgment that God's given. Right. So I don't know what to make of it, but it's <laughs> at least interesting. Our, our vast uh, universe of listeners can write in uh, with with papers to Just, be published yeah, and ones and ones of questions yeah, yes yeah, yeah exactly um so so this one yeah right so this this book here then is directly although other prophecies right sort of manage other nations yeah mm -hmm. uh, ezekiel isaiah but here now we've got a very specific prophecy mm -hmm. against the yeah which and, i guess because they're family yes yeah that makes sense that's, yeah, that's a very interesting thing. I, I will, I want to go back and just say, verse one says, thus says the Lord concerning Edom. There's a lot of work to be done underneath that word concerning in the Hebrew okay. that's used there. But basically, at the end of the day, it's to Edom. It's, it's okay. concerning isn't enough. It's actually the way the Hebrew um, grammar is, is worked out. It's actually to Edom. Okay. But anyway. And so what's Edom done? Yeah, so uh, what we... What we see in verses 10 through 14, which was part of the reason, is it seems to me that verse 11, on the day that you stood aloof. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, Edom is in verses one through four, talk about where they're 
um, dwelling is. It's up in the, uh, let's see here. Um, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your mm -hmm. heart, you bring me down to the ground. So Edom, this mountainous range south of the Dead Sea, um, it seems to me that what they've done is they've st stood aloof there in their position and they have watched actually in a sense. And I don't know that I'm not saying they could actually see everything happening, but they certainly knew what was happening mm -hmm. as Babylon comes in and wipes out Jerusalem and desecrates Jerusalem. So they've stood by while God's judgment has come upon uh, God's people. And it's not just that they watched it happen but they participated in it. Mm. Um, so and, that's, and that's something, because I think even as I'm hearing, I'm thinking, well, God called the Babylonians in. And, right, right. You know, now God will judge them, interestingly enough, for, yeah. for their behavior. But yeah. you say, well, if God's going to judge these poor people, I'm going to stay out of the way or just pick up the pieces. Right. But that's, right. God's not satisfied with that. And I guess Edom should have taken another tack here. Well, yeah, it's hard. To, I, for me, I, I, I don't even know what to think about that. Yeah, Should yeah. they have come in and defended their brothers? I don't, I, you know, that I, I have no grid for even speculating on that. But I do think the idea that they joined in with yeah. God's judgment, at, and that, that popped out to me from the end of verse 11, where foreigners entered, entered the gates of Jerusalem and cast lots for the city, and you were like one of them. Hmm. Hmm. We have stories uh, from the historical record and other other books, not the historical record, but oh, let me look at my notes. Like Amos and and other places that mention the Edomites that they were actually going into other cities, other Israelite cities, and and destroying cities that hmm. weren't right there in the center of Jerusalem as well. And the, so they and were the participating. Way, right. And the way you were sort of weaving this together um, is that it's not just they were opportunists that saw, you know, a chance to score another flat screen TV or maybe some, right. uh, you know, some, some corn or right. something, but mm -hmm. food from Walmart, this was, this was actually the tail end of a long history of, yeah, of hatred maybe, or yeah. I think you had said, um, just, just long years of injustices between Jacob and yeah. their, his heirs and Esau. Yeah. yeah, lots of violence was done to Israel by the surrounding nations. I mean, the, Israel had given and Israel had received mm -hmm. um, violence from the surrounding nations. What jumped out to me was verse 10, where it says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's not something that I'm reading into Obadiah mm -hmm. all of the mm -hmm. sudden. That's, to me, that's a handhold. And it's from that, a handhold like that, that I can begin to explore, okay, violence to your brother Jacob. Amos puts it differently, interestingly enough. Uh, I'd have to file through my notes uh, to find where I read it. But Amos says, you have broken the covenant of brotherhood, hmm. as it describes um, the Edomites. Hmm. And, and I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, so anyway... Um, yeah, it's it's that it's something about that family connection that and then, seems and to these, jump And out. these deep injustices, and I think that's that's you were helping us Sunday sort of over look over that long narrative of all the ways mm. this happened back from the time that right. it began in their womb. So this is right. this is not just a latter day. This is like a compilation, uh, you know, adding up all of these, layering yeah. on all of these injustices. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a huge part of it. That and and that's an interesting. Of course, I didn't get into Romans chapter nine either, which which is Paul yeah, reflecting right. on um, God's. I, I you know that's a whole nother podcast that I'm going to ask you <laughs> questions about. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to put that, that one off for a while. But it's not as if. Um, yeah, it's it's not as if the New Testament forgets about this either. You get you get into Paul, and he's still thinking about right. Jacob and Esau and what is going on in that relationship, the brothers. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, you know, God saying, "Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated." You know, um, I'm not before they were born and done anything. Yeah, yeah, before they had done either good or evil. Again, we are now going to walk away from Romans nine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So figure that out again. Add that to your uh, to to the answers that you'll be sending in to us. Um, but I, all of that goes to say, it, it at least tells us that this relationship between these brothers is an incredibly important frame in the thinking of Hebrew, ancient Hebrews and even first century Christians. This was not, this was still a big part of the way in which they understood themselves and their story. Now you've got an, now when you say that you've got something very interesting going on there, it seems to me, because you've got one perspective is God's, and we could even say this about the Babylonian assault that you've got God's choice in mm-hmm. one hand, Mm-hmm. And and Israel's supposed to see that as a judgment. On the second hand, on the other hand, the, the Babylonians are going to receive a judgment for participating in this, even mm-hmm. though they're God's righteous mm-hmm. right hand in this. And so Edom similarly is chosen Romans 9 to be those not loved by God, but yet here chastised mm-hmm. for not acting in accordance yeah. with familial love and right. say some some I don't know if the relationship obedience to God is relevant for the Edomites, but mm-hmm. so so there's two angles going on. One is God doing this, and the other is still their responsibility to get it right. Yeah, because I, mean, I think we could, like you said, we could nurse this, right? I mean, I mean, Edomites could say, "Look, all we're doing is paying back what's happened to us," and apparently right. God's not not happy about that. Right. Wow. Why not? Why not? I mean, why? Yeah. Not? I mean, they've been treated unjustly for quite yeah. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, I mean, I think this is what I begin to explore in, in, in near the end of the sermon. And I don't know if that's where, what, what we want to talk about at this point, um, I'm happy to, but it's, it's that idea of um, God's justice is, is reserved for him because he is uniquely capable of executing justice that holds together mercy and not justice yeah, yeah. That, that holds together his just judgment and mercy um that's some of the stuff that came out to me from this but i think like if 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 the question is explain divine sovereignty and and human <laughs> well you um, walked us into it Pat. yeah i know i know <laughs> i know but I, yeah. I i i think that that that's part of i in in fact i didn't even get at this um the the we have heard a report from the lord in verse one that translation is actually we've heard a report from the sovereign lord mm. um you know that is a huge part mm. of obadiah's vision that he's casting hmm. yeah and I, I mean i think it's easy i, I think you've, you've often approached this 
as you've sermonized the, the idea that we we all nurse these things and uh, you know we sort of justify ourselves and i and i wonder if and again the text is rather quiet here but we could assume that there's mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. nursing going on and saying well i think we're justified in this looting we you know we yeah. pressed upon and you know they're they've stolen our birthright so now they've assumed right. this priority and and this this ruler this leadership in the middle east or at least in the in this land mm -hmm. so i mean i i think isn't that isn't it the case that if we want to define justice we usually define it by historical reasons right historical yeah. Right. injustices yeah and i think that's right and i think it just goes to um first of all it goes to humble us a bit mm. and and to understand that true justice is not as simple mm. as sometimes mm. we would like it to be like it mm. would be nice if real justice was just as simple as you did this x did this Here's, here's the result. Mm -hmm. I, I think about in my own role here as a pastor, when I am walking with people through difficult relational um, uh, fractures, let's say, I, it is never simple. I mean, that's mm -hmm. why people mm -hmm. get hurt and hurt other people mm -hmm. because life is 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 very complicated and things have ramifications that they mm. don't fully mm. understand and they receive these things and and they're asking for this to be done and they're not able to find all of the ramifications that flow out of their demand mm. it's it's incredibly um difficult and and multi-layered and i i think if we can grasp that we'll understand a little bit better how hopeful we can be about God's justice mm -hmm. that that will and that's sort of where we're going in the end of this that mm -hmm. will allow us to transcend uh, the complications of trying to exact it on our own um, yeah, I'm starting to wander a little bit there. No, but... I, I don't. I, I tell you, from my perspective, Luke, I, I think the way you laid out all of the relational problems between Jacob and Esau, I think what you end up building is a very clear case that there's been injustice done. Um, and you could, in some ways, vindicate the Edomites to say, mm -hmm. hey, God's judging yeah. Israel, not us. Right. They treated us very poorly. And so justice seems very simple. We're going to yeah. go down the mountain, let well, God do his business and, and pick up the pieces and maybe get repaid for the fact. Because yeah. You know, to be the second son, to be removed is to lose the right to the family name and the mm -hmm. I mean, that's massive injustice yeah. done to Esau. Yeah, I think that I think the line from what you described seems very simple. Like this, mm -hmm. this, this is this is this is just this is right. This is yeah. And and I think I may have mentioned it at one of the services. It wasn't in my notes, but I think it occurred to me actually while I was delivering the sermon in a in a culture where. Uh, the historical record is an oral history. These things never die. Like when right, part, right. part of a culture, yeah. was, were you at the noon service? I, 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 I said it in one, service. okay, noon service, I said that. But it occurred to me while I was delivering this that sometimes while I'm delivering a sermon, what seems kind of like a good idea at the 8 a.m., I get a little more <laughs> confident about it at the 10 and by the noon, I'm, you know, you can't move me off right. of it. Or it happens the other way, and that's really no fun when you know, when I just keep 
going backwards. Oh, wait, this might be true. No, I don't think mm. it is. Ah, I can't say it. But anyway, but the point is, um, in our time, it's hard for us. I was talking to somebody after church, after the noon service, and they were, we were talking about that idea. And they said, yeah, you know, we're having right now, America enjoys pretty warm relations with Vietnam. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. after just how many years is that? Is that less than 50 years or about 50? A little over 50 years, years? now. Yeah. Uh, that would have been unheard of in another time and in another place. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why that, I mean, you can, as a historian, and maybe we get a, a history of intellectual uh, thought, you could tell us why now we can just move right on. Is it the global economy, blah, 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 I don't know. But that that was not how it worked in a world where history was mm -hmm. kept alive through orality. Mm -hmm. I just think so. So to me, yeah, when you go back to this Jacob and Esau story, as, as I said in the sermon, after rehearsing the history, who gets to decide who's the good guy and the bad mm -hmm. guy? It's really hard. And I think perhaps that's exactly what Paul's getting at, actually, mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Romans 9, mm -hmm. that God is the one who is bringing his justice to the world. And it's inscrutable for us. It's inscrutable, yeah. So Luke, I, I think that... Um, I think that to see this this tendency in our own hearts to to want to get justice clearly and and for the Edomites to have a very clear route to it, and yeah. so so could you say and <laughs> that's let's, a great point. And let let's do let's do what we did last time a little alternate ending here. What? Yeah, right. So so the so God's bringing His justice and that's His responsibility. He's doing it in a way that we inscrutably we don't understand what He's doing. Should the Edomites have said, regardless of the slights done to us and the history, our job is to show mercy? run down the hill and maybe you don't stop the Babylonians, but you gather up the poor and the wounded and you care. Right. For them. Is, that, is, that a, is that an alternative ending here? Well, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing alternative ending that's loaded with possibility because somehow in, in their own flawed and human way, they could have mirrored in a sense, mm -hmm. what we know about the justice of God, that is mm -hmm. just judgment and yet, tethered to mercy. Mm -hmm. um, they could have mirrored that in that uh, their attitude was not gloating, but weeping with those who weep, as we hear mm -hmm. in the New mm -hmm. Testament. Mm -hmm. um, their, their, so their attitude and their actions weren't looting their, the wealth of mm -hmm. Israel that was being um, taken away, but drawing them into their uh, verse 14 says do not stand at the crossroad to cut off his fugitive do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress mm -hmm. so it, it, at one sense it's like an alternate uh, an alternative ending would have been edom somehow uh, against all the wisdom of their <laughs> of the lust world. for vengeance, yeah. against uh, an incredibly countercultural move, That's right. would have been to <laughs> weep with those who weep and to show very simple acts of mercy that says, You're, you made it up the mountain, you can come in here. We won't turn you back over to the 
uh, mm. to the Babylonians. Could, yes. could, a, could, could this be, and I'm, I'm way off the reservation here, but could uh, this yeah. be a living, the, the inverse, living inverse of the Good Samaritan parable that you've got the weaker nation here watching the larger stumble and taking mm. and, and, mm. and crowing over it yeah. rather than binding up the poor and taking them to. All right. Well, I, I don't think you're that far afield because okay. the Samaritans were, um, as you work back, they, they come out of Edom. I mean, mm. I mean, there's a connection Shechem, between yeah. the Samaritans and ancient Edom. So that, that actually, you may have just stumbled upon something <laughs> that could be actually worth writing a paper about. I don't know. I, yeah. we'll, ask, uh, we'll ask around. Uh, send in your thoughts, people. But no, yeah, there, there's, this, there's this interesting way that it could have become uh, the Old Testament Good Samaritan parable, mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, this, and this is something you said when, when you concluded the sermon, which I thought was really powerful, which is that it's, it's not like there isn't vengeance being done, but that's God's business. And mm. Edom's, Edom without command of the Lord is taken upon themselves because, and I think you just said this a minute ago, it's so complex a deal that, that God is alone to be trusted with it. And yeah. Edom not being responsible to it should have just brought mercy and allowed God to do his thing with vengeance. Because I think you said at the end, vengeance belongs to the Lord because he's the only one mm. we can trust yeah. to bring justice and mercy at the same time. Right. I think that, and for me, that was something that I, I don't think I've thought a lot about mm. that idea of why, like I've heard over and over, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay, you know, mm. that Christian dictum. Um, and Oh, okay. So now I'm going to sit this podcast is great. I'm sorry, people, if you are linear thinkers and you get so frustrated at this podcast. But now this reminds me of back one of the laws in ancient Israel was the law of Lex Talionis, which was eye for eye, mm. tooth mm. for tooth. And oftentimes we think of that as vengeful and spiteful. Mm. But actually, there is a lot of grace in the Lex Talionis, which is which is what um, is mentioned here in um, a, a lot of commentators have said there is a, a lot of Lex Talionis kind of stuff going on in Obadiah, mm. uh, especially we'll see it. Well, we won't talk about it much, but it is in verse 15 when it says, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Uh, that's sort of Lex Talionis mm. language, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Mm. But we think of that as, okay, that's tit for tat. That's you do this, I do this. But actually, there's a lot of grace in it because in that world, if you, um, there are other ancient law codes, uh, Hammurabi's law code, for instance, mm. who allowed differences in punishment between the social classes. So mm. if you as a servant had put out the eye of a master, he couldn't just take your eye. He could take your eye and your left arm or something like that. I'm, <laughs> I'm making up the analogies, but that is actually how it worked in mm. some of the um, law codes of ancient Near Eastern world. Lex Talionis is this leap forward that says, no matter who has done this to mm. you, you can't take more than um, what you have lost that idea. And mm. um how did we get on this? It seemed important <laughs> when I started talking about it. But, but the idea is that we often think um, uh, about, about vengeance in, in, we start from the wrong place when we start thinking about vengeance, mm -hmm. I think. And, um, well, so and there's, I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. 
No, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of too that if, if, if we're trusting God for these things, you're right. We start from uh, retribution. We, we want payback. Mm-hmm. But God's interested in redemption. I wonder if you could speak to justice yeah. as an as a tool of redemption, not just retribution. Yeah, I mean, I think about. So let's go back to that to our alternate ending idea. Hmm. What if, in the day of their calamity? So what we know about human relationships is days of calamity are times when we are most open to hearing things uh, hmm. and and new things. Um, so, for instance. C.S. Lewis has said, pain is God's megaphone for which he, through which he shouts to a deaf world. That, mm-hmm. that idea mm-hmm. that in our, in our times of our most extreme pain, we are, we are often most able to hear, um, hear things that we could never hear when we weren't mm-hmm. painful. Like this mm-hmm. is just a human deal. That's why in pastoral counseling can be so hard, but so joyful as well, because people are hearing things in their pain for the first time that they haven't been able to hear. So what if in our alternate ending at Israel's lowest, 586 BC is the absolute rock bottom. Their holy city has been destroyed. The temple, God's presence on earth has been desecrated. Mm. They are at their rock bottom. If Edom had showed mercy, at this moment? Could the conversation have changed? Hmm. Could there have been some movement towards reconciliation? Could there have been something back like what happened in Genesis between Esau and Jacob in that moment that actually has lasting effect on relationship in that, in, in that world? Yeah, so that the, the idea that reconciliation is worked through God's justice, which is his judgment and mercy, which of course is where we ended on Sunday with the cross. Like God mm-hmm. brings reconciliation to himself and his world through this great act of justice, judgment and mercy. Neither one is forgotten in that moment. Do you think, do you think we, um, just as humans, have a very difficult time differentiating between fire that consumes and fire that refines? So mm. I, I think that mm. Jesus, you know, God often talks about his fire as a refining fire that refines it two times over. And, and so there's all this that the burning up actually has a redemptive purpose. Is that part of the problem is that we just we don't know how to bring a fire that refines. We have we just know fires that consume. Yeah, no, that is that is so true. Um, we are our, our capacity. Well, I think it comes back to Dan a capacity to trust that the Lord actually is sovereign in all of these situations because, and, and part of that, if I might add is human pride. It's not, it is our human pride that says we can understand the situation. And of course, if you were to go back and, and look at one of the, the reasons in the, opening verses that God is going to bring Edom down is the pride of your heart has deceived you. Mm. If you've been deceived by the pride of your heart, I wanted to read into that. Edom has said, we are absolutely the wronged party in Mm. this relationship Mm. with Jacob. Mm. We have, we're the ones who have, have been righteous. I, I, again, now we're really, this is what a podcast for, but (laughs) if I were a betting man, and I do bet on games of cribbage with my middle daughter, and I've lost a lot of money. <laughs> Actually, not money. Stuff. Anyway, 
But I would have to say that Edom's what, what moves Edom to do this based on this idea that pride of our, their heart has deceived them is exactly what you were playing at before, is that we have been absolutely and definitively wronged by Jacob. And now it is time to settle that score. That's human pride. It's an unwillingness to say, we do not have the full picture of what God is doing in his world. And we will submit ourselves to that and then try in the best way that we know how to mirror his justice, which is judgment and mercy. Well, and that comes back to what you've said before. And then is repentance is the defining quality of the... Mm of the Christian. And I think also another one here, just that, that trust. And I wonder if that's, that's another part, if you were Edom and let's say we wouldn't know even attempting to be faithful or kind to Israel, it would have to be that I, this doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm trusting mm-hmm. that God is doing what is right. And therefore I have, I am free to show mercy because I'm trusting that God is doing what he's supposed to do. And how, and how, when we fail to do that, how, how do we, we don't know how to find mercy. We don't know how to yeah, yeah lace judgment with grace. That would have had that would have been an absolutely countercultural, right, right. defiant act by an Edomite in that moment who chose to show mercy rather than to participate in the judgment. Yeah, it and and I think for me um, in these days that is sort of uh, an interesting thread to pull at as the church's role in our own cultural moment yeah. is it's, it's not going to look like what everybody thinks is the right thing to do. It's going to be counterculture and it's going to be painful for us. It's going to be painful for all the whole narrative that we know so well and all of that, but it is going to be the thing that will be the brightest witness to the gospel in this moment. So, so the prophets keep prophesying. They keep prophesying, man. Well, I hope that I hope that's what we see because it's this is sounds minor and and out of the way and um, and off the reservation, but it's so direct and there's so much gospel buried in it. If what we mean by gospel is God redeeming by His sovereign will, mm-hmm. then we see it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Luca. Appreciate. It. Look forward to seeing how the rest of this minor prophet will go. Thank um, you, Dan. Week. Thanks again for your thought and your work in doing this. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.